Beneath the clothes, we find a man. And beneath the man, we find his nucleus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Hispanard, where rambling is the name of the game, because that's what I do. I ramble, and I say, uh, I forgot which word I say a lot, but I say a word a lot. It comes up more than I would like it to, so I'm trying to be cognizant of that. I have a lot to go over. Uh, This one is going to be specifically Rings of Power. I've decided that on Friday, it'll probably most likely just cover Rings of Power until Rings of Power is done, and then I'll move on to something else. But uh, for this one, I just kind of want to go through it. I had to shake my head and also just be a little confused as to the choices that were being made when it came to cutscenes and jumping around back and forth in the story. Uh, Sorry about that. As you can hear, the children of the night outside those are actually my children and no not my human children those are my doggy children and there must be some kind of ambulance or something uh driving by that they only they can hear because that's the only time that they go crazy is when they hear an ambulance they decide that for some weird reason that's their kin and they're going to join in on the the song that it makes but (laughs) anyway so let's get right into it uh the fourth episode of the rings of power opens up with the queen who i'm sorry i know this makes me completely shallow and you know what i think that's what you're here for right you're here to hear a man talk freely and openly as much as he can about what he thinks about things so what i'm about to say sounds totally shallow but i i I, i'm having a tough time with it so i'm just going to come out with it okay i'm sorry but I'm, i'm going back and forth on the queen of numnor and whether she's attractive or not I look at her and I think, yeah, attractive. And then she just makes these faces and I'm like, no, not attractive. And I feel the same exact way about the the chick that plays the the lady, the woman, whatever, sorry, that plays Galadriel. I cannot get over the faces that they make. Literally, they snarl at each other and at other people and they look arrogant and haughty and I it's weird. I I don't understand the choices that they're making. They don't look kingly. They don't look queenly. They don't look royal. They they look like pissed off and weird and angry and I I don't understand. I don't get it. So anyway, I'm I keep going back and forth. I, I look at her and I go, "Yeah, attractive." Then I'm like, "No, not attractive." And so something's just throwing me off. And and that for for some weird reason that keeps putting me out of, of the show as I watch it. Every time they focus in on Galadriel's face, I only think of Kate Blanchett and I think, wow, Kate Blanchett is very attractive. And then this, this lady that's playing Galadriel, not so. And I'm a shallow man. I'm sorry, but here you've heard it here first. I'm, I'm a shallow dude. So anyway, the, the episode four of Rings of Power opens up with the queen. Looks like she's doing some kind of, uh, 
like a baby welcoming ceremony for all the babies that are born, I imagine daily or weekly or something. And so there's all these babies in a beautiful courtyard and she's given a speech and as she's holding the baby, there's a earthquake that happens and she's like, Hey, it's all good. The, the island needs to breathe just like we do. It's just breathing. We're good. Then the island breathes some more. And then she's like, oh, okay. People start getting a little nervous. And then she turns around and she looks and all of a sudden sees the ocean is now coming into Numnor in a very violent way. And you can see that it's a destruction of, of Numnor. And then she, you know, gets hit by a wave of water. Then boom, wake, like wakes up. And um, to her what they're trying to say with that is that uh, Galadriel had been prophesized or an elf had been prophesized to arrive at Numenor and that would be bring the dis the destruction of the island. So now you understand the motivations of why the queen is trying to get rid of her or at least not trying to help her in any way. Uh, and it does make sense from her point of view. Galadriel gets some advice from her fellow prisoner, uh, Halbrand, who the advice again doesn't really it's pretty words but the writing is not done well so they get to the point but but again they're not they don't get to the point in a in an elegant way they get to the point in a pretty clumsy way in my opinion as, as to the writing where he is telling Galadriel you know you're really good at bullying people but you're not good at listening to people and she's like or, or and or telling people what what they need to hear and she's like i told her exactly talking about the queen what she needed to hear and you know this got me in prison and he's like nah but you're not really telling people what they really want to hear you're not you're not uh focusing on their fears and then using that to your advantage the advice that he gives her or the direction that he gives her it doesn't really make a lot of sense but in her the way that the the actress plays Galadriel, she has like this moment of like, oh, like, you know, light, light bulb moment. And then, you know, they jump over to Isildur, Isildur, who, again, I said, I think the last episode that I talked about the Rings of Power, one of the things that bothered me is that we know where everybody is going to end up as far as the main characters, the characters that we know, Elrond, Galadriel, Isildur. We know where they're all going to end up. We've seen their story. We've seen how their story ends. So one of my biggest problems is that we don't get the benefit of being worried and afraid about what's going to happen to right now, the main characters of the story, you know, the ones that we're spending a, a lot of time with. Now I did watch something else that I'm going to talk about on another podcast where I, all I felt was worry and fear for the characters. I didn't know what was going to happen with them. And a lot of that had to do that. It was an original story that I hadn't seen before. And because I hadn't seen that story before anywhere else. And because it was a singular mind that was writing this thread all the way through, you didn't know where everybody was going to end up. And it was like nail biting at, at points and, you know, really well done job with tension and excitement but that's another story. With this, I cannot get excited for anything that happens to any particular person whose story I already know how it ends. And that actually bothers me. 
It's the same thing that actually, if I'm going to interject something else, it's the thing that has gotten me not excited for the most part with all of the Star Wars TV shows that have been coming out for the exception of the Mandalorian because the Mandalorian story to me is a completely unique. I don't know how this ends. Don't don't never even met the character before. Certainly never met baby Yoda before. That's a brand new mythology that got folded into the larger universe. And it was exceptionally well done. So whenever the Mandalorian is on any of the seasons, I truly don't know what's going to happen from moment to moment with that character or with the events that are playing out and how they connect to the larger universe. That makes that story extremely exciting, fun to watch. Same thing with, um, you know, uh, the Ahsoka Tana show that is coming out. Boba Fett had the opportunity to do that because we, as kids, you know, I'm a 47-year-old man now. My and for most of my life, my young adult life, I thought I knew Boba Fett's story. And Boba Fett's story was he got eaten by the Sarlacc and that was it. It was over. Lucasfilm and, and the story group managed to, you know, pull a rabbit out of their hat. And all of a sudden we have new stories with Boba Fett. But the first season of Boba Fett for me was a miss for the most part. There were definitely some great moments the uh the black wookie was awesome the, uh seeing more of the uh, of tatooine and some of the other locations folding in the huts bringing in the mandalorian into it i mean there's definitely highlight moments in boba fett and i would say it is more of a watch than less overall i would give the entire thing three and a half sombreros which i think that's worth a watch but um yeah, you know, uh, it it didn't have the same ugh that you know the the same gut punch and and nostalgic love that the Mandalorian is creating. So I'm I'm really hopeful for Ahsoka Tano. I'm also incredibly hopeful for Andor, even though Andor is telling you a story and you definitely know how the story for one of the main characters ends. Cassian, we all know where his story ends up in Rogue One. If you have not seen Rogue One, then I won't spoil it. I'm going I'm going to say watch Andor, which is coming out tomorrow, I believe on Disney Plus, it'll have its premiere, and then go watch uh what did I just say? Rogue One. Sorry about that. Go go watch Rogue One right after and you will be I think wholly satisfied because you will see that entire story for that character. And I don't know at this point whether Disney has invested enough story time into into uh, Cassian, the, 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 the main character from Andor, whether they're going to give him multiple seasons and then we'll get to Rogue One, or whether it's a one-and-done season that connects to Rogue One. If it's just that, I'm totally fine with that. If they end up somehow being able to pull out multiple seasons before you get to Rogue One, I'm equally okay with that too. But knowing that, everybody around Cassian has to be in absolute danger because we already know, like I said, where his story ends and there's not much that you're going to be able to put him into that is going to make him, make us nervous as a viewer. And, and, you know, we can sympathize with the things that he's going through, but we'll never be worried of his demise 
because like I said, we know where his story ends. That is actually one of the major flaws that I see happening right now with a lot of the properties that various companies are snatching up and turning into, you know, movies and TV shows. If they come from some original source and you are, you're a fan of that original source, then you know how everybody's story ends. If you deviate too far and change things up too much from the original source, then it's no longer that story. It's a completely different story. And if it's a completely different story, not everybody will be on board with that. Obviously, some people will definitely be on board no matter what. But, you know, I'm hardcore when it comes to Lord of the Rings, <clears throat> I think. And uh, so it just, it makes it not as enjoyable an experience. But going back to the Rings of Power... Where with, uh, we, we jump over to Isildur and we see Isildur, he keeps getting called every time he's off, you know, uh, offshore on one of the boats and they're running through their uh, exercises. And also it looks like a, not only is it an exercise, but it's also a test of worthiness to be able to, to be on a boat and to man like one of their ships. I keep saying boat, but it's a ship. It's a beautiful, elegant ship. Every time we've seen him on one of those, he has this disembodied echo voice saying his name, and he keeps looking over to what we're told is the West. So there's something about the 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 West part of the island of Numenor that he is being called to, and he's not explaining it to anybody, but we hear it, and he hears it. So anyway, he ends up tanking his chances to be to get a, a spot on one of these ships and he does it on purpose. The problem is, is he ends up tanking his friend's opportunity as well, two of them. So all three of them get thrown off the ship. There's a little drama that happens with that. And then Isildur goes uh, sulking off. And, uh, you know, I, this side story of, of, of how and why he's making the decision to tank his, his, predestined career and move off into this other thing obviously we'll find out but at this point we have no clue now the story does jump over to arendir which i keep calling brazilian elf he's a dark elf dude that at this point in the in the show he's the only guy that i'm a little worried about because he's because i don't know who that is i don't know him in tolkien lore so he could die next episode or he could die the episode after that. I'm, frankly, I'm not really, I don't really understand why he hasn't died yet because there's been plenty of opportunity to kill him and he keeps getting released. He keeps getting, you know, he, he keeps getting shown mercy and I'm not really sure why. The last episode at the end, he was on the ground with a knife to his throat and they were about to, you know, cut his head off. And then the orcs were like, no, no, no. We're going to give him over to um, Adar. And then everybody starts chanting Adar, Adar. And then you see a figure walking through. And clearly the figure is humanoid. I read somewhere that somebody thought it was a human, you know, man. Turns out not so much. It's an elf with like a gnarly burned like scar on his face. Still beautiful. Which I, I actually, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Like it would have been better in my opinion to make that, uh, Adar elf to make him like hideous on one side and give him that, that, uh, two face look, you know, the, the Harvey Dent look from Batman, but they didn't go anywhere near far enough. They definitely kept the look 
of the person playing the character intact. He's just got a little bit of gnarly, like, uh, you know, face cheese on one side, but just slightly. <laughs> but for the most part, yeah, he, he actually totally looks like a uh, throwback to a 1980s gothic uh, metal rock star elf. And he even, you know, he, he even carries himself that way. It's pretty funny, actually. He comes over. This is the super head scratching. Uh, after a dark kills a, a, an orc that is injured, and somehow the orc is like grateful for it. Then he comes over and he starts to talk to uh, uh, Aaron Deer, Brazilian elf. They're having a little back and forth. You know, Aaron Deer's like, I, I'm totally confused. I don't understand what you're doing with these guys. I don't understand why they call you father because that, apparently that's what it translates over to. And then in a totally, you know, nonsensical, uh, you know, emo 80s kind of way, He's like, you know, everything you've been told may not actually be what it is, what it looks like, or something like that. He just says some nonsense where you're like, okay, well, just tell him. If if he's missing something, if we're all missing something, just, just say it. Nah, instead he's like, go back to your people. Uh, no, not to the not to his people. He's like, go back to the humans that are staying at the at the tower and let them know we are coming. Oh, yeah, he says... You have been told many lies, Adar says. Some run so deep, even the rocks and brutes now believe them. To entangle it all would all but require the creation of a new world, like, say, a kingdom of evil in the Southlands. But that is something only the gods can do, and I am no god, Adar says. At least, not yet. Dun, dun, dun. None of that makes any sense at all. Here's the other thing too, that I'm, that I'm pushing hard up against with this show is that, uh, Tolkien in his writings clearly establishes a single deity, like well, one God that is above everybody else. And everything else that works underneath that God is basically like an angel, like is the way you should think of them. They're not really gods per se. But uh, in this one, so far, there's no mention of a single creator. It's just, yeah, a ton of gods exist out there somewhere. They're doing something. We're, we don't really know. So here's the head-scratching part is the the sexy 1980s emo elf, evil emo elf. He gives Aaron Deer, Brazilian elf, some kind of message to go back and give to the people that are holed up in, in the watchtower that the elves used to... Uh, use and and uh, control and then he lets him go so you know he takes off and then there's another side story of uh what i call the the little rascals froggy um maori kid hey mom he against his mother's wishes because everybody's running low on food takes off to go uh to go get some more food and I don't remember the chronology in this part of it, but it's either before he goes off to get food or after he comes back and gets food, he talks to like one of the creepy townspeople, the, the butcher of the townspeople. And the butcher is like, Hey, I know what you got. And, uh, uh, and at this point, I'm, I'm sorry, reminiscent, uh, as, as I did not say rather, um, that froggy has some kind of weird, evil magic sword that looks pretty cool that he can only activate with blood at least so far that we've seen and uh the way that he 
conveniently activates it is the bottom of the sword hilt has like these two fangs and you shove it into your form like you're holding the hilt and it's and it's conveniently like you know the fangs are down so you can like shove it into the middle of your form draw blood from there and then fire starts to spark up it's like a like a fireworks fourth um, of July sparkler thing that you turn on <laughs> it like starts to sparkle up and then creates like a short sword and the elf I mean the the orcs who are in that area are looking for this thing and uh, the kid has this thing and he, he has this interaction with his butcher guy he's like hey man I know what you got and the kid's like I don't know what you're talking about and then he grabs at the kid and pulls out that sword and he's like I know exactly what that is and then he shows the kid I've got the same you know the same scar because I've used that thing before something's coming and you better be ready. We all need to be ready to serve like our true master or something like that. And the kid's like freaked out. Anyway, he takes off, uh, the kid takes off against his mother's wishes to, um, to go find food. And he takes a friend with him. Then the story from there jumps over to Liberace elf who's suspicious and sends Elrond back to Moria to find out what Durin is hiding. So they're out there, uh, or, or Elrond and his, and his quote-unquote friend, uh, Durin, are hanging out, and they, the, the dwarf and his wife are keeping something from Elrond, and at, at one point, they're at a super distance away, and they're talking to one another, and they're talking about how they're, being clever and keeping him from knowing what it is that they're hiding from him. But you see Elrond at a higher level looking down at them from, I don't know, what looks like maybe a mile away. And he's reading what they're saying. Like he's reading their lips because he's got some kind of super elf eyesight that they uh, showed at, on the first episode. And so you get to see it again. So he's got like, uh, that. that's one of his superpowers apparently. And he's able to read their lips and sees, oh, yeah, they are definitely hiding something from me. Then there's a cave-in, and uh, then we see uh, the, the, the queen or the princess. She's a princess, the, the one that's married to Durin, the, 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 the black female elf. Then you get to see her sing, and because of the cave-in, a couple elves, I mean, a couple dwarves, sorry, were trapped, so she sings. Asking the mountain, hey man, can you please let these guys go? Elrond witnesses it, witnesses that, sees the rock shift, and he's like, what the heck was that? And then she explains it. So then after all that happens, finally Durin comes clean, and he's like, yeah man, we have definitely been keeping something from you, and he shows it to him, and it is what we'll eventually come to know as Mithril. And if you don't know or don't remember Mithril, if you watch the original Lord of the Rings... Um, you will, you will have seen that Frodo Baggins passed on this awesome, uh, uh, male chain, uh, shirt to, uh, Frodo, uh, wait, uh, was it Bilbo? Yeah. Bilbo gave it to Frodo and it's made of mithril and basically you put it underneath your clothes and, and it totally super duper light, incredibly tough. And we find out just how tough because... Frodo ends up getting skewered by an or uh, a goblin, and you know we see that slow mo like, 
and everybody's like, Frodo. And you're like, oh, dude, they just killed Frodo. He didn't even get a chance to finish the mission. And he's dead. And then they get to him after they fight off that, that uh, troll. And you come to find out not even a scratch. And it's because he's wearing a mithril shirt underneath his shirt. And the thing is like impen- impen- impenetrable. I believe how you say that. So this is, you see the beginnings of, you know, of that, uh, in this show. So yeah, then the story jumps back over to Numenor where they let Galadriel know, Hey, we're kicking you off the Island and you're leaving tonight. And so they get her, get her out of her chamber that she, or her prison rather. And, uh, she gives one of those Galadriel looks from the show over to Halibrand and then bam, gets into like action mode, beats all the humans up, throws all the guards in jail. I think there's like four giant guards. I mean, literally these guys are like six, three, six, four, and she, no problem. Just throws them all in jail. And then the one human that looks like uh, Jack Black, uh, <laughs> I mean, literally this guy looks like Jack Black, current day Jack Black. He's like, I'm going to get my sword out. And she's like, yeah, go for it. And he's like, no, never mind. So she takes off and Galadriel, I'm assuming, climbs this giant tower. We, Yeah, she. it must be a climb because she breaks in, she busts in a window with uh, that has metal, you know, uh, uh, holding the glass in place. And uh, I mean, you would think it's Captain America or the Incredible Hulk or somebody with super strength just goes through this window like it's nothing, breaks the the metal like it's nothing. So at this point, I'm not really sure what the power set is for the elves and, and for everybody else. I mean, they must be incredibly strong when they need to be. I'm not I'm not really sure. I like I said, I, I don't have like a power chart for everybody, but I wish I did. She gets in there, she's there to talk to the king himself to say, uh, because the king is still around. So the king's daughter they call her Queen Regent, which is, you know, queen in waiting or, or like, you know, while the king is doing his thing. But Galadriel finds that the king is actually pretty busted up and he's on his last legs. You know, he's dying. And so they, the, the queen and Galadriel have a conversation and Galadriel is again like, come on, man, help me help you. Something is going on back on Middle Earth you have the strength and, and the numbers. You could help us. We could destroy, stamp out this evil before it really starts to take hold and grow. Please help me out. So the queen's like, oh, God, come with me. Takes her to another room. There's a, uh, uh, I think it's called a diocese. You know, it, it's a big column that's in the middle of the room and it's covered. There's something round on it and it's covered. Queen takes it off. Boom. You see a palantir. Which, again, going back to the original Lord of the Rings, it's a thing that Saruman used to communicate with Sauron. So, you know, Saruman had one of those and he put his hand on it and then it, it would take you basically to wherever the other one was. And then there you can communicate with people across, it doesn't matter how far you are. And um, so we've seen those before and we get to see one now on this show. It's a different color than the one that we see in the movie. And I think it plays a slightly different role on the show than it does in the movie. In the movie, it's used to communicate. On the show, they use it to show you a potential future. 
And that's where you Galadriel sees that Numenor is going to be overrun with waves and ocean. And she's like, whoa. So the queen says, now you understand why I'm trying to get you off the island. Like it was, it was surmised or prophesized rather that you're the reason that that's going to happen. And Galadriel's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Uh, that's only a possible future that you're being shown. It's not a definite. And the queen's like, no, no, it's definitely definite. And Galadriel's like, I don't know, man, but whatever. So, so then Galadriel's like, you know, the thing that could end up messing up this whole entire thing is your, your desire to stay out of going to war and basically, you know, kicking me off the island may be the exact thing that causes this bad, not keeping me on the island, not coming to help me, but rather fighting uh, against me and, and not helping me out. So then they jump back over to Froggy, who is now trapped inside of one of their towns, their abandoned towns, because he had left to go get food with his buddy. His buddy actually chickened out when the sky started to get dark and you start seeing orcs pop up, the dude literally takes off and leaves Froggy behind. And Froggy is now being hunted by the orcs because he, he does come across one and he uses a sword to fight it off, but the thing injures his leg. So now Froggy's limping around and trying to stay ahead of the orcs looking for him. And right when an orc finally grabs him, it's that moment of like, I finally got you. And, you know, it's supposed to be suspense for us. You know, nothing's going to happen because Brazilian elf is around. Brazilian elf ends up taking out the orc in a pretty vicious way. And he's like, hey, it's me, your stepdad. Let me help you. And Froggy's like, I don't want you to be my stepdad, but I have no choice in allowing you to help me because otherwise I'm going to die. So now they're both trying to get away. And they're running through the forest together. Froggy is limping. Uh, whatchamacallit, Brazilian elf is doing his thing that we got to see in one of the commercials where he's catching arrows in midair and he's responding back by shooting the arrows back at the orcs. No matter where the air, if the arrows come anywhere near Froggy, Brazilian elf is catching them out of the air and he's shooting back in response, taking out, boom, boom, left and right. But they messed up because it should have been like 10 orcs coming after him. But instead, it looks like it's a hundred orcs coming after the dude. And I'm like, I don't care how many arrows you can shoot, you know, at once. Like, you're going to die. They're going to catch up to you. They're just as quick as you are. You have a man, an injured man in Froggy. And, you know, you can't cover Froggy and help Froggy. So this looks completely like they're going to get overrun. Froggy's mom shows up that Brazilian elf is in love with. She's like, what? You know, comes over, grabs Froggy. They have a talk for just a second. Then they start running. They head out to a clearing where the cloud cover all of a sudden parts. And now the entire land is bathed in beautiful gold. And basically they're saved because the orcs can't get out there. Like there's too much sunlight. They'll burn up. So there's a little bit of a Mexican standoff. And then Brazilian elf is finally like, yeah, that's what I thought. And he grabs Froggy and, and the, you know, his future wife, I'm assuming, or girlfriend or something. And then they take off with arrows being shot at them. But I guess the distance is too far, so they can't get hit. So so then the story jumps over to Durin and Elrond, the cave-in that had 
taken out the uh, the doors. They're actually all live. Everything's all good. And so then they, Durin and Elrond start making plans about how to mend things between Durin and his father and how to move forward with everybody working together. Again, this is like so... It, it doesn't even really matter at this point. There's so much filler going on. It's it's actually very, uh, very depressing. Okay, that's and and then the story jumps over to Brazilian Elf, finally with all of the uh, humans on the tower and the message that he's brought back from Adar, the uh, cheese face face elf is, hey, if your people, uh, let go of this land. And they swear they forsake the land and they swear loyalty to him, then everybody's gonna be all good. Nobody's gonna have to die. If you guys don't do that, apparently he's gonna kill everybody. And that's when Froggy ends up having the interaction with uh meat cutter guy who who says, Hey man, I know what you got, I know how to activate it. Uh the starfall that happened, that's a sign that Sauron his time is near. Theo will need his strength for what's coming, he says. So finally, the story jumps back over to Numenor, where everybody is finally kind of resigned to the fact that Galadriel is getting on a boat and she is leaving Numenor. And nobody seems particularly happy about it. In fact, it seems kind of like a, a depressing moment. But it's like, hey, man, we the queen was like, we made our decision. We're sending you off. They put Galadriel on the boat to head out. And then as the queen and uh, Jack Black start walking back, I get, I'm presuming to the main uh, tower or the, the main palace or whatever, they have one of those cool trees that exists in Gondor, one of the white trees. But this one, the one in Gondor, I think, didn't have petals anymore. It was just the tree by itself. This one is in full bloom, has all the petals. But then the petals start coming apart, like they start falling. And the wind is carrying them through. And the queen is looking around. She's like, ah, oh, this cannot be good. And it's not good because apparently it represents that the uh, gods who gifted the elves with this tree and the elves gifted it to the Numenorians. Apparently this is a sign that when you do something that they don't like, the tree starts to uh, drop its leaves. They're like, oh no, this is not good. So one of the things that happened in episode four too was the way that they jumped and cut everything. The editing was not well done. So you see that you're already assuming the Galadriel is already on her way, you know, to wherever she's going. Cut to the queen giving a speech saying, yo, wait a second. Actually, man, we would never shy away from fighting. We would never shy away from helping our elf friends. Like, what are we talking about here? This is the hour of judgment. Of course, we're going to step in and take care of business. So then you find out that now the queen is going to go with Galadriel and they're going to go assess what's going on over in the Sutherlands in, uh, or the Southlands in Middle Earth. And then that will help the Numenorians determine what the next step is, which is helping to, to fight a war. This episode is just a head scratcher in the way that it was put together and all the jumping back and forth and a, a lot of filler that doesn't really have any 
good meaning for anything. Like we're not getting to anything. We're not getting anywhere. The moments where you're like, oh, something's about to happen. Nothing really happens. And it, what a strange decision. And the final thing that they do is basically they do like this, this, uh, anybody want to volunteer? Anybody, anybody want to want to volunteer to go to middle earth and to go check this evil out and to go with a queen, anybody. And then finally, one by one, people start, you know, the, I think the first one, no, the first one is, I, I can't remember who the dude is, but basically Isildur is one of the people that's like, I'll go, I, I'll do it. And then after that, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. And then the entire island, it seems, is like, yeah, I will go. Definitely, we'll go check out the evil. Let's see what's going on. Let's help the elves out. Let's help ourselves out. Is the way that, you know, the, this showed at the end. I don't think we had anything with the hobbits uh, in this episode, which actually I was really grateful for because they're not getting to that story fast enough either. I want to know who the tall man is, whether it's Sauron or Gandalf or I don't know, whoever, but uh, they're just not getting to it. And one of the things that I've read is that um, right now we're in currently what's called the second age of Middle Earth. So all these events that are happening are happening, you know, uh, and that makes sense because the first age was the battle with Morgoth. Second age is the buildup of, of Sauron. So they're getting to the point of they're showing you how Sauron gets his power. And, and that, that is one thing that is consistent with this show is that it's very easy to see how Sauron ends up accumulating his power is because everybody is disjointed nobody's talking to any, anybody nobody it happens to be friendly or kind to one another all the uh, races in middle earth are you know um they either despise each other or they're just so um what's the word here they're so distrusting as a people that it's nearly impossible for anybody to work together. So the other thing too that's happening in the show is that things are moving along very quickly in some regards, like when they jump back and forth or, or when they jump forward in time and when they jump forward with things like the project that Liberace Elf has going on, all of a sudden they go from one episode where like, you know, maybe we should reach out to the dwarves to the dwarves are like, we want nothing to do with you to, wow, check it out. Dwarves and elves are now working together to build this thing that is a giant forge that is also like a uh, nuclear power plant that is going to help Sauron achieve his goal of uh, making the rings. So I continue to be disappointed. I continue to be, uh, have my, you know, scratch my head on this and, and wonder why the decisions were made the way that they were made. I do completely sympathize that it must be an incredibly tough thing to write a show, but I feel like it, when you have a bunch of collaborators and you've got a bunch of minds working and you know you do a, a clear outline, I, I feel like that would make the whole endeavor so much easier than if it's just one per. I mean, there are benefits of one person running the entire show, doing everything on their own and, and plotting the outline and then writing the dialogue. I can see the benefits of that, but I also see the benefits of the other, of, of having collaboration, 
bouncing off ideas so that you get the, the best of the best ideas down and, you know, you whittle away the bad. And uh, that's what's so confusing about the way that this show is continues to be disjointed. I think at the end of the day, you know, whatever actors you ended up getting to play the parts, you know, like them or not like them, if the words and the direction were true, then it kind of wouldn't matter at the end of the day. It would be what it is, you know, and you would be satisfied with the direction of, of how everything's moving. And I understand, like, you cannot have action, action, action. You know, you can't have that. You need to have those quiet moments. You need to have those contemplative moments as well as the suspense moments. But that's the thing that I have the roughest time with this show is that none of those things are played out well. They're not played out right. And um, so it just leaves you wanting. You want this big epic and you're not getting a big epic. And then on top of that, going back to the thing I said earlier, when you have characters where you know what their story is and how their story ends, it makes it very difficult to actually provide epic from those characters. So, you know, at at this point, you're better off focusing on characters who whose histories we don't know, at least from the movies. You know, that, like I said, you're going to get the hardcore of hardcore and they're going to know the ins and outs of every single character. And you can't please those people. I understand. You can't please me, for example, in that regard. So instead, what you want to do is you want to rely on the strength of story and you want to rely on the strength of, you know, directing and editing because the those are the things that are going to get somebody and that are going to provide, you know, what it is that somebody like me who can't suspend disbelief on putting somebody in danger that you know can't possibly be put in danger because of where they're going to end up. And I also said, you know, at the beginning of this, that that is probably one of the toughest things for any intellectual property is oftentimes, you know, how that, that person's story ends. So it's difficult to make you care about a past adventure it's easier actually to surround them, in my opinion, with people that can be killed off and and can become meaningful to that character so that you can emotionally manipulate, you know, the viewer in such a way that uh, it's it seems like a, a very satisfying moment to the story. It adds something to the story and it gives the a new layer to the character who you already know. This is what I'm, this is my hope for Andor, that it's able to accomplish those things. And this is my hope for any IP moving forward. And one of the things that's weird is comic book movies, comic book movies don't seem to suffer from this. And I don't know if this is just my opinion or this is like a, a fact outside of what I think about it, but Every time we see a Spider-Man outing, a Batman outing, a Captain America, you know, anything like that, depending on the team and and the studio and the story, you kind of don't know where the something is going to end up for the for the character. Um, you don't even know how the character is going to end up himself. You know that whether they kill the character off, you know, after the third outing or the second outing, or you know they they. 
it seems like there's more wiggle room to be able to play around with the outcome of a comic book character because it's not something that is necessarily set in stone. Comic books have this thing, this this tool called a retcon, and they also have um, another tool where they're able to resurrect characters once they kill them off. I really think, you know, that is able to give you a lot of tension and a lot of mileage out of caring for a character and what's going to happen to them because they could be killed off five years down the road and then they could be resurrected three years after that and then they could be killed off again 10 years down the road and all those stories can be really meaningful because they become generational stories meaning they're of the generation that they were shown you know or 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 presented to and then that generation gets to enjoy that that moment so every single generation gets to enjoy peter parker going you know, at a high school for the first time or acquiring his powers for the first time or getting married for the first time or, you know, or dying for the first time. Like th- th- comic books are, are uniquely suited to be able to tell those stories over and over and over again and actually take the myth, the mythology and add different layers to the mythology. Whereas something like Lord of the Rings or, Wheel of Time or The Expanse or, you know, even uh, Game of Thrones, you can't tell new offshoots of the story for the same person. You can't retcon that as easily. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it could be done, but I feel like there would be way more pushback to that kind of thing than, and there's no pushback in comic books. Like you're, you're always going to have fans of a particular era who will gripe and complain about whatever the story is that you give Spider-Man or Batman or any, you know, anybody. But over time, like those fans just accept it. They go, yeah, okay. You know, Batman had his back broken and he was completely out of commission and you brought in this religious zealot, you know, to take over his job. And then that gave Batman the perfect opportunity to come back to stop this person and reclaim his title, you know, as the protector of Gotham City. Like, there's there's really great layers that get added to Batman's story in such a way that eventually you do accept it, and you and then you're like, wow, yeah, that I really did love that era of this particular thing or whatever. And you constantly get to keep those characters within, uh, you know, about the same age too. Now, one cool thing that comic books has done over time is that they've told the old man story and then they've told the you know the beginning journey of that character story as well so we've seen old man logan we've seen logan at the beginning of his journey which is wolverine for those of you who don't know wolverine's real name same thing with peter parker same thing with hawkeye same thing with all these characters another thing that marvel introduced a long time ago that i thought was really cool was like the end it was the final story for the character which of course is not real like there is no real last story to any of these characters, but it's fun to play around with the idea that somebody can deliver the final story for whatever characters, you know, you're invested in and, and love, you know, you're invested in you love and you get to see a final story for the character, even if it's not really the final story for the character. That's, that's a pretty cool um, tool that, that they use out, you know, bring out periodically. So I like that. So dear listener, 
the last thing that I want to say and talk about is do a little bit of self-promotion and also spend just a moment to say thank you once again. Um, I had a really cool conversation uh, about a week ago uh, with two people. Uh, a gentleman that came in and was asking about some art advice, uh, you know, at, at my job. One of the cool things at my job is that it's front facing. So I get to speak to guests and they get to watch, you know, the magic that we do. They get to see us draw characters and render them out, you know, color them. And in some cases, uh, you know, not color them, but do the line work for them, break them down. So they get to see the process of, of what your thinking is for any, you know, particular character. And um, I get to see uh, young kids come in to, you know, older people come in and to parents and, and their college bound children come in and ask advice on, you know, what's the best way to do this? Where do you think they should go to school? You know, what should they focus on? Um, I've actually really, you know, come to enjoy talking about those things and, and, um, you know, helping anybody that I can with direction and so this, this gentleman came in and, uh, I can't remember his name and I feel bad about that right now, but th the main point, well, two people came in, I, I can remember one of their names and I'll talk about them in a second, but this gentleman came in and I gave him some, you know, advice, at least to my understanding of what I know about art. And he was kind enough to reciprocate that and say, Hey, you know, I've got this, this giant following YouTube channel and I do a lot of, you know, uh, I have big social media following. And this is what I focus on. I focus on my love of cars. And then he was showing me that and it was really cool. I mean, the, and the guy gets like gigantic numbers. It was crazy. But his point was, I think what you do, you can monetize that online. I'm like, dude, I'm an old man. I don't even know how to do that. So he was kind enough to break it down and explain some of it. And then a, a few days later, my buddy Ray, shout out to Ray. He came in at amazing incredible artist that you need to find as quickly as you can. He's posts on Instagram. I don't know if he has other socials where he, where he posts. I, I, I think maybe Facebook and Instagram are his two uh, biggest uh, places that he posts, but I wanted to shout him out and I wanted to make sure that I get this right. So on Instagram, he is Ray with an E. So it's R E Y last name is P A E Z, which I think you pronounce Paz P A E Z illustrator. I, I think it's Ray Paz art. Sorry. It's Ray R E Y P A E Z art on Instagram. I think he's the same on Facebook as well. The guy is a phenomenal artist and a sweetheart of a person, like one of the kindest people that I've ever met, who is uh, just really a joy to be around. Uh, the guy is an incredible, like I said, incredible artist with a really whimsical, awesome kind of animation, but very unique style at the same time. Uh, I highly recommend uh, following him if you love beautiful art. Like he's definitely someone to go to. And he came in we were talking, you know, as well. And I just, I wanted to shout him out because he gave me a lot of hope. I've been feeling like I'm in a slump when it comes to artwork. And, um, 
you know, I've been feeling directionless, even though I have like this project in front of me, I'm like, I don't, I, I don't have any fire for the project. I don't have any, you know, gusto or, or, or any desire. Uh, and, and I really can't talk about the project, but, um, I just, I feel weighed down too by that lack of, of motivation and, and, and fire that I normally feel for art. And, uh, talking to Ray when he came in and just kind of being to being able to confess the way that I was feeling to him, uh, really gave me a, a lot of hope. And he just, you know, was giving me back really kind words that I, that I disagree with on, uh, in some sense, not because, um, how do I explain it? Like he was just giving me credit for a lot of things that I don't think I, I, I deserve any credit for. Um, particularly when it comes to him, I don't deserve any credit for, for anything that that guy does because he is that uh, Ray is killing it completely on his own from his own ability. And, his, you know, if I can support people and encourage people, that's awesome. But support and encouragement, it does not translate over to, you know, real world, real life, getting things done. And Ray has definitely been getting things done. So all, um, all credit goes to Ray, but it was awesome talking to him. And between talking to these two people, it did encourage me to kind of start stepping up my game and doing something that literally cost me nothing to do, which is to post artwork more consistently so one of the things that I did, I have a YouTube page that I started a long time ago with the intent of posting up videos, you know, my artwork on there. And then it just stalled out. I did nothing with it. And um, after talking to these two guys, I'm like, you know what? It, it It's something that I, I'm already used to doing. I'm, I'm used to doodling on my iPad and it produces like Procreate, which is the app that I use, actually records all of your your uh, line work that you do as you're working on artwork. So it, it already does it automatically. It doesn't cost me anything. It doesn't cost me any extra setup to do it. So I thought, well, why not post some of the work that I've been doing, it's like learning digital and getting accustomed to the difference between, uh, you know, a digital pen and a physical pencil or, you know, digital pencil and a physical pencil and, and what the, you know, I've been doing a lot of experimenting over the past year, working out the weight, working out, you know, the, the different brushes that I like, what I don't like. It's just been, uh, Procreate is, is such an awesome, awesome, uh, app that really Photoshop, uh, Adobe Photoshop really messed up by letting those guys, uh, have even a, a toehold in the space of digital art because procreate quickly uh grew to dominate this space in my opinion even though procreate only exists on ipads and iphones it is an incredible versatile tool that i i'm i almost don't know any artist that doesn't use procreate it's incredible so um i started posting up on alex iniga's uh, art on YouTube. Uh, you know, if you type in Alex, A-L-E-X-I-N-I-G-U-E-Z art on Google, you will literally find everything that is, that is under that, whether it's 
my Twitter, my Facebook, my Instagram, my YouTube page, you know, all of that lands on there. But, um, just from talking to these guys and, and the encouragement that I got that, Hey, I should post this stuff up. And, uh, and there's a possibility that if I do it consistently enough and if I, if I put out things that people like, um, you know, at some point that can tip over into YouTube rewarding me for that and saying, Hey man, good job in doing this. Like you're, and also putting stuff out that is positive, you know, in nature, meaning, you know, it's not videos ranting against the government or videos ranting against this political party or that political party, or, you know, being doomsday, like not feeding that particular machine is definitely something that I'm interested in. Like I, if I can put something out that somebody can watch for 30 seconds to a minute and go, man, that was cool. And then that will in turn encourage them to go try it out on their iPad or do it, you know, in a physical medium, like a pencil and paper. That's what I'm looking to do. So I'm asking for anybody who's listening, not only go to my page and subscribe, you know, my YouTube page, but if you could spread the word, it would be super appreciated just like you've done with this podcast. I've, I've been watching the podcast grow and the numbers grow. And I really appreciate that. And again, you, the fact that it's grown and that people are listening actually triggered anchor to give me the chance to record a, a commercial, which in turn will translate over to cents and then dollars. And I, I can't do that without any of you. So thank you. This is the portion where I'm just saying thank you from the bottom of my my heart for uh, being on this ride with me, for listening, and thank you also for anybody that is interested in looking at the process. I think one of the things that's going to happen moving forward too is I'm going to get more intricate and more involved in posting up better things like better how-tos and uh, not just, you know, short little things with music on it, but for people that really want to see the process of how to break something down and, you know, my, my methodology and my thoughts on, you know, why I paint the way I paint or why I draw the way that I draw, like all that stuff is coming. And I think all that stuff will be possible, you know, with my numbers moving up will help encourage me to, to be, get more serious about that and, you know, cause there definitely is an incentive at the end of all this. And I, I think I, you know, for me moving forward, I always want to be clear about, about this, that if, if I can do this as a full-time job and not do the job that I'm currently doing it doing, I would happily do that. Like a, to, to be creative for yourself, I think is the ultimate goal, right? To be, to work for yourself, to, to, you know, create things that people will enjoy. And I, it's, it, it reminds me of going to a convention and, and doing, you know, having a table at a convention. That's exactly what this feels like. It's, it's creating things that people can consume and, and enjoy and take, take away with them. Um, but the, you know, the next step for me too, is also creating physical things that people can take away with them and people can, you know, uh, uh, enjoy. So, you know, once I hit a certain threshold number that I have in my head, which I think would be like if I could hit a thousand subscribers or followers, because I'm not really sure how YouTube works, but whatever it is that that I think you can subscribe to someone's page and it's free. You know, if I can hit that that thousand, I then it's a great 
incentive to have en- enough of a big enough pool to be able to send things out to people like prints, you know, and even an original, you know, depending on what that looks like. But uh, yeah, these, these are the plans moving forward. It's, I, I don't, you know, I real I came to a realization that maybe three, four years ago, I would have lamented that I didn't start this then, you know, but I'm at a place now where I'm like, well, why, why lament that, you know, I didn't get this started three, four years ago. Why not just start it now? Like wherever I am, just begin it then start it then whatever it is working out, you know, uh, anything just start it right then and there. Cause there is no other time. So just start now. So that, that is my encouragement to you and advice as well. And with all that, I, again, I'll say thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. I'm also going to leave you like I always do. Take your vitamins, drink your water, eat your vegetables. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.